Coming up. What we are here today to talk about is the ongoing debt crisis in Greece and countries that are struggling not only with too much debt, too much inequality, and too little growth and income. When is the burden of debt so great that it becomes immoral? Who's responsible for irresponsible debt? Now, how about lending this country $20 million, you old skinflint? $20 million is a lot of money. I'd like to take that up with my Minister of Finance. Well, in the meantime, could you let me have $12 until payday? $12? Don't be scared. You'll get it back. I'll give you my personal note for 90 days. If it isn't paid by then, you can keep the note. Can we solve the global debt crisis in a just and equitable way? Our guest is Julie Nelson, author of Economics for Humans. The Ethics of International Debt. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford University. That's where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for about 40 years. And today, we're thinking <clears throat> about the ethics of international debt. Ken, there's something like $200 trillion of debt worldwide. Uh, that doesn't include the solar generator I bought from Amazon yesterday. <laughs> but the real problem is that there are 24 nations in crisis because they can't pay off their debts. Yeah, and a lot of these, I mean, some of these debtor nations are once rich nations like Greece or Finland, but a lot of them are poor developing uh, nations where, where the burden of debt is falling mostly on the poor and the disenfranchised. All told, John, it's a massive tragedy, a massive human tragedy. Well, so you and I can sit here and moan and wail about the tragedy, but as philosophers, what do we have to add? We're not bankers or politicians. Our job is to analyze concepts, not loan money. Well, then let's start by doing what we do best. Let's analyze the concept of debt, and maybe that'll get us somewhere interesting. Let's see, shall we? Well, it doesn't seem like the most mysterious concept. First, you've got a debtor who borrows money and uses it and promises to repay with interest. Then there's a creditor who lends the money, loses the use of it, but expects to be repaid with interest. Well, that seems a pretty good start as far as it goes, John. Thank you. In the right circumstances, Ken, <laughs> debt can be an extremely good thing. It allows people to buy houses, students to go to college, entrepreneurs to start new businesses. And it allows the lender to make a profit while simultaneously serving the broader social good with his money or her money. Not every time, not everywhere in history has that been thought to be true, John. I mean, the Bible seems to condemn usury. And Shakespeare famously declares that one should neither a borrower nor a lender be. John, well, well, well did they get it wrong? Well, I believe Shakespeare ended up penniless, didn't he? But, uh, yeah, I think they're just wrong. In the right circumstances, debt is a fair, rational, and effective means of making good things happen. Oh, you make it sound so simple, though, John. But, but if we take it to the international debt case, it, it doesn't seem to me to work that way all, at all. I mean, your analysis assumed that we get the same agent who takes out the loan, 
then later has to either repay it or face the consequences of non-repayment. So it's that one agent's rational calculations. But, you know, that's not what happens in the case of international debt when countries take out loans. Not not at all. Yeah, you're, you're worried about international debt stuff. You know, some leader takes out a debt, uses it, gets very popular, then generations later somebody has to repay it. That's a good point. Yeah, and it's, 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 it is one of the problems because the leaders who negotiated the loan, uh, loan for whatever reason, aren't necessarily the same as the lender who has to make the decision to pay it back or not pay it back when, you know, the chickens finally come home to roost maybe decades later. It can be a mess. Well, leaders come and go, uh, but nations endure. Conceptually, it's the nation that's the agent in these cases. The agent, the borrower, the repayer is one thing, the, the, the nation. Well, I knew that's kind of what you'd have to say to make your analysis work, John, but that doesn't change the fact that the people who have to make it's a fundamental fact. The people who have to make these really painful decisions to impose austerity on their populace so they can repay these debts may not be the same as the people who gleefully took out the debts in the first place. It's like if I took out debts to finance my gambling spree and then everything went awry, I expected my son or even my grandchildren to repay the debts. That would not be fair to them. Well, yeah, but it can be a good thing. I mean, the World War II generation took out a lot of debt in order to defeat the, defeat the Nazis. Nobody would have loaned them that money if... It was, had to be repaid in Roosevelt's lifetime. Nations allow one person to make a promise that another person, maybe another generation, maybe another social class, too, bears the burden of fulfilling. That's called an intergenerational compact, yeah, Ken. Yeah, that's a nice theory, John, but it doesn't really address the worry uh, whether you're a simple picture of rational behavior that you started out with that makes it all hunky-dory and rational. It just doesn't scale up to institutions and nations. It's much more complicated when we try to scale it up. Oh, so why does it need to scale up, remind me? Well, because you get this potential conflict of interest. The leader who makes the loan may be acting in his own self-interest for his own political benefit, but the people who have to bear the burden are different and aren't subject to those same considerations. That's the problem. All right. So you're suggesting this. The model of the rational borrow and the rational lender won't scale up to countries unless the leaders refrain from making decisions for their own short-term benefit and rather focus on the long-term benefits to the country. Well, lots of luck with that, John. <laughs> lots of luck. That just that just doesn't always happen. How does it always happen? Hardly ever does it happen. It certainly didn't happen on Wall Street in 2008, and it's not happening in the international arena either. It's just not. Well, aren't you a gloomy Gus? But I suppose in the case of international debt... And all the crises we've got, gloom may well be justified. We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, out to look at how debt can cripple economies and why we should care, she files this report. Puerto Rico is in trouble. During the economic crash in 2008, they borrowed a lot of money to help keep their economy afloat. Today, the Puerto Rican government is $72 billion in debt. To put that in perspective, um, that's $20,000 for every person living on the island of Puerto Rico. Andrew Hanauer is campaign director for Jubilee USA Network, a group advocating for global financial reform. He says debt is making Puerto Ricans suffer. Between 100 and 200 schools have closed um, over the last couple of years, and they cut their health budget by $42 million last year. Um, which now looks particularly bad since the Zika virus is now um, spreading across the island. 
Even though Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, it can't file for bankruptcy, unlike U.S. municipalities. That chick or the rapper 50 Cent. Drop that pro bag off at that club, I'm too rich for the chick. I'm too rich for the chick. Too rich for the beer. Forbes said this guy was worth 150 million bucks. But now 50 Cent doesn't have two quarters to rub together, at least if you believe his bankruptcy filing. He says he's buried in $50 million of debt. Lucky for him, here in the U.S., bankruptcy is a process for dealing with debt. Everybody who's, who's owed money um, by 50 Cent is able to file a claim. There's a judge who makes sure that people are paid appropriately. If 50 Cent has children, there's, there's measures in place to make sure that his children don't go hungry because it's certainly not their fault if their father's irresponsible. But there's no bankruptcy process like this for countries. In some ways, the international economy is, is sort of like the Wild West. And this Wild West economy isn't just hard on your wallet. It can be bad for your health. Across Sierra Leone and neighboring Guinea and Liberia, Ebola has already claimed more than 7,800 lives. Andrew Hanauer says we can probably thank foreign debt for that. In the year before the Ebola epidemic started, and it started in Guinea and then spread to Liberia and Sierra Leone from there, Guinea was spending more money on debt than on its public health system. So it makes you wonder, you know, what would the situation with Ebola have been if Guinea had had the money and the resources to have more hospitals, more doctors, more, more resources to build, you know, isolation wards and things like that. Hanauer says the World Bank did a study in the early 2000s after about $100 billion of debt relief was distributed to various countries. They went to every country that had received debt relief and they found that in every single one, um, child mortality rates had, had been reduced. So debt relief was directly saving lives. Hanauer says there are a few key steps to solving the international debt crisis. One, debt relief to the point where the country can grow its economy. Two, implementing responsible borrowing and lending policies. Third, uh, some sort of bankruptcy process so that countries can um, have a means to get out of debt if they, if they fall into crisis. Andrew Hanauer says debt relief is only a Band-Aid. The larger problem is a broken economic system. He says we need to reform financial institutions worldwide, fix trade and investment policies, address tax issues. There's a lot we have to do. But Hanauer says debt relief is an important step. It's helping countries keep their schools and hospitals open. And that, in itself, is a relief. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. To hear the rest of this program, head to philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking.